The scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 4, verses 20 through 26. John 4, 20 through 26. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah, who is Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you once again today. Thank you for uh, the scripture reading and the beautiful singing and for the prayers that were offered today and for the men who served at the table. We're very grateful to you and your service and thankful for you being with us. And for those who are visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. Thank you for coming our way. It's always a privilege and a pleasure for me to be with you and to speak about these wonderful truths that come from the pages of the Bible. And I always enjoy being at uh, Bethlehem, at uh, Broadway. Bethlehem was a congregation I preached for 20 years ago. <clears throat> now I'm at Broadway. <laughs> and I do know where I am, so please don't be, uh, be, don't be shocked. Those of us who are here every Sunday know that I make mistakes like that all the time. I'm happy to be at Broadway. I was at, uh, uh, Phil and I were with the children in in uh, Galveston, and uh, they're visiting down there, and we had a great time, and and we were very happy to be with them, and, and Max filled in for me on Wednesday night, and I'm grateful for him, and so we're happy that everybody's back home, and everybody had a great trip, and I'm kind of reporting to the congregation what a fine group of young people that we have, and how well they conducted themselves, and what a fine trip that it really was. This is a great reading in John chapter 4, verse 20 through 26. It talks about our worship, and worship's important to us as children of God. I don't know uh, how to really say how important it is, because it's such an important part of our life as Christians to be able to worship God and worship Him properly. I saw an article in the Christian Chronicle several years back, and I happen to make notation of the article, teenagers were being surveyed about worship. And what were their reflections about worship? One teenager said, worship service is boring. One teenager said, rehearsed prayers are boring. Old outdated songs are boring. Services that are too solemn are boring. And as I looked at the uh, survey, I thought maybe there's a lesson we can learn here with regard to New Testament worship. We should make sure that our worship service is relevant. Make sure that it's uplifting. Make sure that it does speak to the heart and to the mind 
of those who participate. When we pray, we ought not to give rehearsed prayers. We ought to give prayers that are sincere and from the heart like we've heard today. And when we sing, let us sing from the heart. Whether they be old songs or new songs, may they be scriptural songs. Songs which really reflect the will of God and our desire to be more like Him. And in our worship, let it be looked upon, though it may be solemn, let it be an occasion of a sacred offering of worship to God. And that this ought to be the case each and every time. That we work at getting the boring out by, being, by putting more of ourselves in. And the more we put into it, the more we're going to get out of it. Now that's what Jesus is saying in John 4 and verse 24. It's a very interesting passage and thank you for reading it for me today. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. It must be according to the will of God. It must be according to our hearts and our desires and our intent. The Greek word proskuneo is the word for worship. It's the most common word that's used in the New Testament. There are other words that are used for worship, and a breakdown of that word is very interesting. The pro actually stands for the idea of toward. Kineo means to bow down. When you put these two Greek words together, proskuneo, it is saying that I am bowing down toward one. I am adoring one. I am worshiping one. So worship really is not a time when we are bored. Worship is a time when God is to be adored. Worship is not a time where it's all about me. Worship is a time when it's all about Him. And that I'm pouring my heart and my life and my soul and my spirit into this period of worship. And I'm thinking about and I'm praying about and I'm singing about this great God that created heaven and earth, created me, created my soul, and has prepared a place for me one great day. It's a time of adoration. The more we put into it, the more of the boring we're going to get out of it. We're going to get the boring out. So to help us understand a little bit about the importance of what we do, And to help us understand more of the importance of worship itself, I decided to make two points today. The first point, I want to talk about people who actually came in the presence of God. What was their reaction? What was it like? Examples of people who actually did that. And then the second point that I'm going to make is from the first one. And that is, there's a principle that can be gleaned from that. So first the examples, and then the principle that the examples teach. And then we'll go from this place with a better understanding of what worship is. And I hope that each one of us goes away with a deeper feeling of the need for worship and the importance of worship in my life. And we'll be able to get the boring out of it because I'm putting more of myself into it. The first example that I thought of 
was these people who came in the presence of God was Moses. And I think Moses is a good example because he comes into the presence of God more than once. In this particular chapter in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, Cut yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which uh, you broke. See, Moses came down from the mountain, and he saw the children of Israel worshiping the golden calf, and he broke the first tablets of stone which God had given him, these tablets of stone containing the Ten Commandments. So God is telling him, you get you a ta- set of tablets, and I'm going to write on them again because you've broken the first set. Be ready by the morning, verse 2, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to be on the top of the mountain. And notice he says in verse 2, get up here in the morning twice. As I read the passage, it occurred to me, well, you know, being in Western civilization like I am, you know, what time in the morning do you want me there? But he doesn't say. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai. Now God told him twice to get here early, get here in the morning. And so to be sure that he got there when the Lord wanted, he got up early in the morning and was there at Mount Sinai, there to come into the presence of the Lord. Now Moses had come into the presence of the Lord before this. In Exodus chapter 19, Moses had gone into the presence of the Lord when God came down upon the mountain and the children of Israel at the foot of Sinai. Sinai We're not exactly sure where it's located. Probably in the Sinai Peninsula, in the lower portion of that peninsula, down in the, just from the uh, uh, Bay of Aqaba uh, today. It is a lower portion of that peninsula. They come through the Red Sea, and there they go and locate at this great mountain. Now, Sinai is a large mountain range, and so it's hard for us to find out just exactly where that mountain is. But there's good evidence to show that it is the mountain of Musa today, and there the children of Israel, if that is the case, if that's where it was, were located. And the mountain shook, thunder and lightning from above. The mountain was covered with a cloud, and Moses is told to go up into the mountain. And there he stayed for 30 days, and he'd received from the finger of God, the law of God, on tablets of stone. And when he came down from the mountain, he saw how idolatrous the children of Israel were, and he broke the tablets of stone. Now he's told to make two more tablets and come back up in that mountain, and God will give him the law again. And nobody's to come up to that mountain but him and come up in the morning. Moses knew what it was like to be in the presence of God. And so the Bible says he got up early in the morning and went to the mountain. Now there's an interesting passage about this in Hebrews chapter 12. And I turn to that because I think it gives us some indication of the significance of the event that Moses 
went through. It's found for us, verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Hebrews 12, 21. To come into the presence of God was a, a terrifying sight. And so in turn, he said, I was fearful when I came into the presence of the Lord. Another illustration of a man who came in the presence of God was Isaiah. And it's one of my favorite passages out of the book of Isaiah. And I, I turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 is what some have come to call the inaugural vision of Isaiah. It's sort of his commission to go out and preach and teach. And by this time, Judah had swayed way afar from God's holy word, and they weren't living the kind of life God wanted them to live. And so God needs a messenger, and he picks Isaiah. And he just couldn't have picked a better messenger for the job because Isaiah was a great man of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, you have a great passage of a man who comes in the presence of God and what it was like. In the year that King Isaiah died, he says in verse 1, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. This is the first time and maybe the only time that word is used. I take it as a special order of angels. The word actually goes back to uh, uh, fire. And some expositors seem to think that the word means that this special order of angels were really on fire, filled with zeal to do the will of God. Above him stood the seraphim. Um, Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, what's happening in this section of the scripture, especially when he says in verse 3, and one called to another. And so you have a group here and a group here, and one shouts holy, referring to God. And then another group responds by shouting holy back to them. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they're praising God in this wonderful way, and the whole earth is full of His glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King the Lord of hosts. Now when Isaiah says, I am undone, he is saying in modern language, I'm a goner. I've seen God and I'm a goner. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a sinful person and I have come into the presence of God and the glory of God shook the foundation stones of the temple itself where Isaiah was. Woe is me, For I am lost. I'm a goner here. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having his hand on a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. That seraphim, that angel, grabbed a hot burning coal. Figuratively speaking, I'm sure he touched the mouth of Isaiah. You've been purified. God's purified you. And he's atoned for your sin. 
He said, now we need somebody to go preach to the people. And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'll go preach to the people. This is an incident in which a man came in the presence of God. There must have been something special about that. You see, there's something very special about coming into the presence of God. There's an interesting passage about this, too, in John chapter 12, verse 36 through 41. Here Jesus talks about this incident, and he says what Isaiah saw was the pre-incarnate Christ. A very interesting illustration of a man who came in the presence of God. His name's Thomas, one of the apostles. John chapter 20, and I must hurry along, John chapter 20 is talking about the resurrected Christ, and this is the time when Jesus had died and was raised from the dead by the power of God, and and now the post-resurrection appearances occur. And you have a number of them referenced in the pages of the Bible, both in the gospel accounts as well as in the New Testament letters, and Jesus appearing before them. Now on this occasion, the ten are there. Judas had committed suicide, and there in turn, um, we have this incident. Judas would commit suicide. We have this incident where the ten are together, and Thomas is not there. There Jesus appears before them, and they're amazed at that. But Thomas isn't there. One week later, they're all together, the eleven. There in turn, Thomas is there. And he makes the point when they tell him about this matter. He said, we saw the resurrected Lord. The Lord was here. He said, well, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it till I actually see. I'm not going to believe it till I see The nail prints in his hands. One week later, Jesus walks right up to Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your hand right here. Thomas, feel this wound in my side. When Thomas came in the presence of God, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And it may be that Thomas has gotten a bad rap here by being called Doubting Thomas. Even though Thomas didn't really accept the fact of the resurrected Christ at first, he wanted empirical verification. He wanted to really see, is this really true or not? And when that evidence was given to him, he said, yes, sir. He's my Lord and my God. There's something special when you come into the presence of God. In the book of Revelation... You have a situation there where a man came in the presence of God. You and I have studied about uh, this matter in times past, and uh, I think it would be good to consider it just briefly for a moment, and it'll have to be brief. But in Revelation chapter 1, John the Apostle is on the island of Patmos, and he receives this great vision of Christ, and thus he writes it down. He's told to write it down. He said, write it down. Send it to the churches at Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. He said, I turned and I looked. And what did I see? I saw one speaking to me whose hair was as white as wool, referring to the innocence of the Savior, whose eyes were like fire, penetrating and powerful, 
whose feet were like burnished brass, stable and sound and secure, whose voice was like the sound of many waters rushing, demanding and commanding, you see. From his lips a sword came, the word of God itself. For there he references in his hands seven stars. And what does John do? When he sees that vision, he falls down and worships. There's something special when men and women come in the presence of God. Some people realize the lowliness of themselves, the weaknesses, their sins, like old Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. Some men realize, you know, just how special the occasion is. I get up real early in the morning to meet God. Some people see who and what God really is, and in fact say, my Lord and my God. And some people see by the presence of this, as old John on the island of Patmos, he fell down and he worshiped God. There's something special, there's something unique, there's something vital and important when people come in the presence of God. Now from this particular series of examples, I see a principle. We assemble together, Jesus promises us to be there. And as you know me, I got to have some Bible verification of this. And I find five passages that are very clear in the matter of this responsibility. The first one, Matthew 25. Turn in your Bible with me and let's notice the close relationship we have with Christ. Now, in this particular situation, in Matthew chapter 25, you see how that Jesus has told them, you know, some of you came and and, um, I was hungry and you fed me, and I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me, and I was in prison and you came to me. And then some of them ask, well, when did we do that? When, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink and, and a stranger and welcome you in? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. There's a sense in which when we follow the teaching of Christ, And we give to others. We're not only giving to others. It's like doing it to Christ. It's like serving Christ. We had this contribution a moment ago. And these fine men served at the table and they passed that collection around. And we took and we participated in that as an act of worship. Whereby... We gave of our means as we've been prospered. And elders will take these funds and they will use their wisdom and understanding and Bible knowledge to properly disperse these funds. And they take that very seriously. I know that. I've been in all kinds of elders' meetings with them. Some of you have been in deacons' meetings with them. These are important matters and the proper use of these particular funds. Elders use their wisdom and their knowledge to use it properly, to use it scripturally. But I didn't give it to the elders. And I gave, Carol and I gave today, 
But I didn't give it to the elders. I gave it to Christ. I have been prospered and God has blessed me. And I'm reflecting that by my worship of Christ and God. And I give that to him. And elders use that properly. And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And in my mind, what goes on, and I know that this is not a perfect reflection of the passage, but it helps me remember it, and it helps me do it, and it helps me think about it. It's almost as if Christ were standing there in front of me, and I give in his hand that contribution. Because when I give, it's like doing it to him. When I help, it's like helping him. When I give someone something to eat or someone something to drink or someone something to wear or help them in some way as they are truly in need, it's like doing it to Him. Because there's something special when you come in the presence of God. There's something very special when you're doing the will of God and the Word of God. But then I found this passage in Mark chapter 14. And this particular passage talks about the Lord's Supper, which we also did today. Faithful Christians observe the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. That is the pattern that we have been given in the New Testament. But then in this passage of Mark chapter 14, in the verses about verse 25, he tells them of the significance of this. I'll start with that verse, and I think I'll leave it at that. The last thing they did was sing a hymn, and then they left. While they're in that upper room, verse 25 comes to play. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now Matthew's account tells us when I drink it with you in the kingdom of God. Christ promises to be with us. We're in the presence of God when we come to worship Him. Now, I know literally He's not here. Literally, actually, He's on the the throne of God and at the right hand of God in heaven itself. But in a spiritual sense, Christ promises to be with us. He identified what the kingdom is, and that's the New Testament church. And when I partake of that bread and I partake of that fruit of the vine... It reminds me of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of the forgiveness of my sins. And figuratively speaking, He is with us. Now, I'll add this particular passage. It's found for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and also 11, there's this matter of the Lord's Supper that's brought up. And the Apostle Paul tells us a lot about this particular matter. And he recounts this, and I'm going to cite just a brief verse or two, beginning at verse 14. I'm in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, because I think it's helpful to understand Mark 14 and 25. Now, I didn't list this, but it's certainly one that comes to mind. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Now, this is verse 16, 1 Corinthians 10. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? 
Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. He goes on into illustrations of these matters. It is a participation. Sometimes we call it communion. Communion with who? Communion with Christ and with each other. Now that point is made even further in chapter 11. He talks about uh, uh, eating this matter uh, together and observing the Lord's Supper together. And, and though I'd love to talk about that passage, I simply make reference to it. Christ promises to be with us spiritually when we go through these items of worship. And what a wonderful opportunity that truly is. I found this verse to be very revealing. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 is talking about the mediator. And you and I have talked about what a mediator is before. A mediator is a go-between. He sort of argues the case, or he argues in behalf of my position or my case. And this is a beautiful verse talking about Christ as the mediator. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Now what he's saying in this particular passage is that Christ is our mediator. And he's our go-between. To help my mind understand this, I view, you know, God on one side and I view man on the other. And in the middle between the two, you have the mediator who is Christ. And that man is going through Christ in order to get to God, in order to pray to God. He's doing that for me. When I come together with everyone else in the worship service, and uh, I am praying and I am singing, Christ, my mediator, promises to be with me. And that this singing and this praying and this worshiping is all made possible and comes before the throne of God because of this great mediator, what Christ is doing for me. It reminds me of another passage. I'm in Hebrews chapter 7. And in Hebrews chapter 7, particularly verse 25, he makes this statement. Consequently, I like this verse. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now here he's an intercessor. He speaks for me. He speaks in my behalf. And when that prayer goes before God, it reaches the throne of God because I've got a mediator, because I've got an intercessor. And that prayer is going through Jesus Christ. There's something special when you come in the presence of God. He's working. He ever lives to make intercession for His people. Now I'm in Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. I've got a passage there that speaks to the point. For Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. And the passage is chapter 9 and the verse is verse 24. He appears before God in my behalf. That's a mediator. That's an intercessor. You see there's something special. When we come together to worship God. Christ promises to be with us. I found Second Timothy chapter 4. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's a very interesting passage, second epistle uh, Paul wrote to Timothy. 
and uh, I'm sure you're very familiar with it. It's a very interesting passage, one I've thought about a great deal. I charge you in the presence, notice that, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Verse 2, be ready in season out of season, reprove and rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when pen will, men will not or people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll want to hear it the way they want it. And they'll get a preacher or a teacher that'll do it the way they want it done. Itching ears. When we are involved in this occasion, And we're studying the Word of God. The Word of God is being opened up. I know Christ listens to what we are saying and doing. God knows whether we're teaching the truth or not. God knows because Christ is here. He promises to be with us. And He knows what we're saying. He knows what we're doing. He knows whether we're following the divine will of God or not. He knows whether we're trailing off into some kind of idea that is man-made rather than God-directed. Christ promises to be with us. May every gospel preacher and every teacher of the Word of God recognize the solemn responsibility of preaching and teaching only the Word of God. May we recognize the great responsibility laid upon our shoulders And in my mind, to help me with that, I think about it this way. Again, I know it's a simple illustration and not totally complete and accurate, as no illustration is. But if I had Christ sitting down there on that front seat, you know I'm going to be sure to get it right. If I had God sitting down there on that front seat, I'm going to make sure I do it right, say it right, be right, because I've got... An audience there with Christ and God. Christ promises to be with us. And this message has got to be right. We've got to say it right. We've got to do it right. Because they're understanding what we're doing. They know. Hebrews chapter 2. I came across that verse. Second chapter of Hebrews. I want you to... uh, Notice that with me just for a brief moment. Because once again it emphasizes the significance of coming before the presence of God and what's taking place there. It's a quotation from Psalm 22. I love Psalm 22. It says so much about Christ and talks about in prophetic form the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Many wonderful details about that. And he quotes it. He evidently liked it too because this Hebrew writer quoted it in Hebrews 2 and verse 12 saying... I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Now, to whom is he referring? He's referring to Christ. And what is he saying Christ does in verse 12? He says, He is among us as our brother. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. When we come together to sing praises to God, Christ symbolically is pictured here as singing praises to the Father along with us. When we come together to worship God, Christ promises to be with us. 
And when men and women come in the presence of God, there's something special about that. Very special. If it is boring, there's something wrong with me. If it is not what I think it ought to be, there's something wrong in this heart, not in God's. It is the time when, by authorized acts of worship, we worship God properly. God promises to be with us. It is a time where we adore God. We are strengthened by our fellowship. We are motivated to remember His presence. He deep, it deepens our love for His Son. It helps our lives to rest for the rest of the week as we sing songs like Jesus is all the world to me. And I know when I'm singing, I'm singing to Christ. And I'm singing to God. And I'm praising Him. It makes coming before God something very special and important. In this sin-sick, sin-saturated world, Let us not neglect the importance of worshiping God, of coming together and worshiping Him and praising His name and putting our heart into it and putting our soul into it. And when these songs are sung, let us sing. And when these prayers are prayed, let us pray. When the Bible is taught, let us listen and study. Because we're coming in the presence of God. And when I come to worship God, He promises to be with me. For the child of God, that means a great deal. Because one day, we will be with Him directly, immediately, in the place that He's prepared for us called heaven. We're preparing our lives for that event. We've repented of our sins, Luke 13, 3, and we've confessed our faith in Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And what I mean by that is, I believe Jesus will save me. It is He and He alone who can do it. I've been baptized into Christ, which is an act of faith on my part. Complying with the divine will of God, Acts 2 verse 38. Not only do I repent, baptize, I repent of my sins. And change my life around the way Jesus has taught me to do it. And then the real work begins of living the Christian life every day and growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and growing in the knowledge of Christ and becoming more like Him and putting away the old self and putting on the new, which is done by continual study and application of that word to my life personally. It's not a matter of just sitting through a sermon or listening to someone else pray, or hearing a congregation sing. It is a matter of putting myself into that worship and getting the boring out and the adoration in because there's something special about coming into the presence of God. Will you not become a child of God today by obeying the gospel?
Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.